When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Three days until we start playing for championships on Friday, and I have found a way for Ohio State to get into the college football playoff because, well, carnage would need to ensue. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, folk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. I am not on a step, no. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the show, we got to talk about the college football playoff selection committee's top 25 ahead of championship Saturday. Going to get into some ways for which this could be just vanilla on Sunday and some ways for which we could get some absolute fireworks on Sunday. And... Give you some takes on the Broyles Award finalist and the Jim Thorpe Award finalist as well. Both of those lists have some worthy candidates, and I got some takes on it. But let's start at the top here. The college football playoff selection committee went chalk the way that we thought it would go following Ohio State, Michigan, and the various rivalry games that ensued. We got Georgia at one. Nobody's arguing there. We got Michigan at two. I'm not arguing there. Florida State at four. Washington at three. Five and six. Oregon and Ohio State, I think is tomato, tomato. I think at this point, I don't trust this committee with its resume looking. Like, I, I just, I see ranked wins, and then I see them making the rankings, right? If you put Kansas State at 25, as opposed to Utah, you're giving somebody a ranked win, like, say, Texas, and you're taking one away from Oregon, you know, like, say, Utah. But even here, you're seeing Oregon is getting much more respect than Ohio State. And I think this is a lot about three straight losses to Michigan and less about the first loss of the season, and frankly, the last time they might get to play football until they hope to get into a New Year's Six Bowl. But now that we know what the top six look like, really the top eight is what we're talking about. We got legitimately, I think, seven teams, but eight because I'm including Ohio State here, with an opportunity to make the college football playoff. And that's really cool because this is the last year for which we're going to have a four-team playoff, and we have yet to see the committee have to actually deal with some muss, some fuss, and some mess following a championship Saturday going into Selection Sunday. So let's keep it simple to start. The easiest scenario for you to keep in your head is if the top four win their respective conference championship games this weekend, all three, or excuse me, all three, all four will be 13-0 and 0 with a Power 5 championship. We have never seen a Power 5 champion go undefeated and miss the college football playoff. That said, right? There's 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 some movement here, right? Because many people would tell you that Oregon is a better football team than Washington and so forth. And we'll get into the Pac-12 championship here in a little bit. But 
That's the easiest scenario is those top four, they win their games. They're going to be in the rankings won't change. Now the doomsday scenario were the one that I like the most because they're really, I think something like 24, 25 different ways we could see this going, but this is the one that I think is most entertaining. 13 and 0 Michigan beaten Iowa though. Iowa, we'll get into it, I think has a shot there. 13-0 Washington with a narrow win against Oregon. 13-0 Florida State with a narrow win against Louisville. 12-1 Bama with a narrow win against Georgia. And 12-1 Texas with a blowout win of Oklahoma State. Because at this point, we're not just talking about wins and losses. We're talking about style points. So if you're blowing out Oklahoma State like you blew out Texas Tech 57-7, that gives the committee something else to think about, knowing that you have that win over Alabama who would be the SEC champion, who had stopped the team that looks unstoppable from winning its 30th consecutive game in the two-time defending national champion, George Bulldogs. Florida State here is the fly in the ointment because most of us would agree that of the four teams here that are undefeated, Florida State looks the least like a national champion. It has lost its Heisman caliber quarterback in Jordan Travis. It played a terribly soft schedule, like frosting on top of that cupcake, more frosting than there is cupcake, if I'm being quite honest about what they've done in the ACC. But we're also talking about a Florida State team that hasn't won a conference championship in almost 10 years. Got to take it back to 2014. And a team that every step of the way has given you pause, has given me absolutely every opportunity to question them. That said, I'm not leaving them out of a college football playoff if they run the table 13-0, and 0, given what we know about what's in front of them and what's behind. I think that the only way that this kind of gets interesting is with Georgia. Would you leave out a 12-1 and 1 Georgia from the college football playoff knowing that Texas blew out Oklahoma State and that Texas beat Alabama, which, you know, is that whole Russian doll thing of transitive wins? That, I think, would give them pause. But this all gets cleaned up relatively easy if Georgia takes care of business or, frankly, if Louisville can somehow just upset Florida State. And I wouldn't put past Louisville to do that. I also wouldn't put it past Florida State to blow that game. That said, again, we'll get into this as we talk about the conference championship games. But I think that the one that I'm really excited about is the one that everybody else is really excited about, and that's Alabama, Georgia. And I think that Alabama has shown both it can be great and it can absolutely have you scratching your head like it did against Auburn because you damn near lost that football game. But we'll get to that. Let's start with looking at our conference championship games. And the big one for me is the Big Ten championship game. That's number two, Michigan versus number 16, Iowa, according to the College Football Playoff Selection Committee. Now, this is Michigan also seeking its third straight Big Ten title, which would be the most that it's had in, uh, in a row since 1988 to 1992 when they won five straight Big Ten titles. And when they get to the Big Ten championship, they win it and they win it going away. They made it for the first time a couple of years ago. They put up 42 against Iowa. The next year, they put up 43 against Purdue. It is a game for which they get up and they love to go to Indianapolis and they take control of the game and not give it back. I would like to think that this is the best defense that Michigan has faced all year, including Ohio State but it's also going to be the best defense that Iowa has faced all year. I'm really fascinated with the defensive play calling because Michigan has given up just 10.3 points per game with Jesse Minter calling plays and Broyles award finalist Phil Parker's team still just giving up 12.2. You'd like to think that if Michigan could put up 40 on this Iowa defense, that Michigan would be in a great spot to win a national championship. 
even knowing that this is a better football team from a scoring defense and a scoring offense point than the 1997 national championship team, but that just ain't been the case. They go and they stomp out people in the Big Ten title game, namely Iowa and Purdue, and then they got beat like they stole something against Georgia, and they got beat by a Texas Christian team that proceeded to take the worst loss in bowl game history in the national title game. I just can't call it with Michigan until they get into a college football playoff setting. But the Big Ten is one for which they should feel really good. And everybody in your mama is picking Michigan to win this football game. It's not that that is a bad take or even a vanilla take. It's it's the correct take. However, I like looking at Iowa play football. And I've been a huge fan of Iowa football the last three years because it is as old school as it comes. We don't need no offense. We don't need to move the football. We just need the defense to be otherworldly. And that's what it's been for three consecutive years. They won 10 games this year with the 124th scoring offense in the country. They fired the offensive coordinator midway through the season. They lost the starting quarterback in Cade McNamara at the front of the season. They lost their best player in Cooper DeGene November 15th. And yet, and still... They won the Big Ten West, and they won 10 frigging games. I love watching this Iowa football team play football. They're also, this is the one I think that Iowa fans should really circle. They are 9-0 this year when they score 10 points or more, which means that they are holding everybody else to less. Now, can you do that against what is a really good Michigan offense? And I'll get into why that is here in a little bit, but that's the number to keep in, in check if you are an Iowa fan. Get to double digits, and then let's see what the scoreboard shows, and let's see how your defense is playing. Not having Cooper DeGene has hurt them. It will continue to hurt them because it would hurt anybody. But Sebastian Castro has absolutely been a dude for them on that defense. And I like to think that the Iowa defense is so cold that the Ghostbusters call them. Like, we don't talk about Iowa the way that I grew up talking about Iowa, which is not to say that I grew up talking about Iowa football. I grew up talking about the Iowa Writers Workshop which is one of the greatest MFA and master's English programs on earth. And I would probably get tossed out because I would be writing about this Iowa defense because it is so cool to watch this team play. So cool to watch what Phil Parker has been able to do with these guys. And Iowa continues to put out the kind of players that the NFL values and loves. And those guys play for a long time and they are frequently on pro bowl and all pro teams, guys like George Kittle, TJ Hawkinson, Tristan works. I keep going here. That's kind of the point, right? Whatever Kirk Ferentz has been doing for the last damn near 30 years is working. And he's been the first person to say, look, we've been at a, n- a number of games like this over the last 25 years, and we've won a few. We know what it takes to win in a game like this where you are a 23-and-a-half-point underdog going into what is supposed to be a neutral site but will almost certainly be filled with Go Blue fans. And if you are an Iowa fan and you're a Michigan fan, you're knowing that they played one ranked opponent. That one ranked opponent was Penn State. And Penn State beat them like a drum 31 to zero. And Penn State couldn't do much of anything against that Michigan defense, even if that Penn State defense was not as great as that Iowa defense. So we thought, but then again, they didn't score, did they? So they've got some things to figure out there, but maybe they got a leg up because while Cade McNamara ain't playing quarterback, Deacon Hill is, he did play quarterback at the University of Michigan just last year. And the year before that, and not only does he know what it takes to win the Big Ten title, he knows what it takes to be Iowa to do it. So there are things that he could point out to both the offensive and defensive staff that might be helpful to them. Now, 
I think that that's the kind of guy that Cade McNamara is. He is going to give you his all. He's going to try to find every opportunity he can to win his team football games. And that way, he kind of reminds me of what Baker Mayfield was doing early in his career at Oklahoma, basically telling everybody what Texas Tech was going to do, following around the defensive coaches, not unlike one Connor Stallions at Michigan, because he just knew what you were doing and you didn't want to go change the signals. So I could read them from across the field, which is way different than sitting down to record them on video and getting into the science sitting scandal. But you get my point here. Kay McNamara knows a bunch about how Jim Harbaugh likes to run his football program. And I'm sure that Sharon Moore knows that as well. So I would expect him to mix in some wrinkles and at least change up the indicators, if nothing else. But it's also one of those things that Kirk Ferentz, in his wisdom, is like, I'm just not going to go too deep on that, guys, because that could probably only mess you up. We're going to watch 12 games of film. And we're going to see what it is they do and what it is we think we can exploit, and we'll go from there. But I think you got to feel good about having a Cade McNamara to even be in the room going, all right, we think we see this. What is this exactly? And then being able to pinpoint what that thing is, and if you can exploit it, you got an opportunity to be really great. And I think that's where Iowa is. They are in a really good spot. Nobody expects you to do a damn thing. You didn't do a damn thing the last time you were in this game with them. And there's nothing about your offense that says that you should be able to score. but that's kind of where I like to work from because, frankly, anytime I've been on equal footing, I feel like I got an advantage. They're behind the eight ball and they're used to it. That's where they want to be. Winning 10 games was not on anybody's radar for Iowa this year, even mine. And I'm an Iowa optimist, right? I'm the guy that would rank them in the preseason based in part on what Phil Parker and that defense have been able to do the last couple of years and certainly this year. But it bears repeating Michigan not only won this game scoring 42 points. They only allowed three in 2021, putting up 461 yards of offense and 211 on the ground with four TDs. 461 yards of offense, 42 points is not what you expect from a Michigan offense, just the nature of how they play it. So when they could do it, you know that they were really, really good at explosives. And they also followed some things on film, Phil Parker's defense that they could exploit. Again, you got two Broyles Award finalists. I'll talk about them a little bit later in the show. And Sharon Moore and Phil Parker absolutely going at each other in the chess match. And I expect that to give us some really great football on Saturday night in the Big Ten title game. Also adding here, Michigan's been really good at holding on to the football here of late. And that's one of the things that Iowa does well to take the ball away from you. Not only take it away from you, go score with it. Michigan's com- Michigan has committed just two turnovers in the last nine games. And a big reason as to why is J.J. McCarthy just – ain't been throwing it to the other team like you might want him to if you were playing for the other team. As a matter of fact, he had opportunities to throw the ball to Ohio State in Ohio State, Michigan, and there were a couple throws that I'm sitting next to Beanie Wells. I'm sitting next to Chris Howard. I'm going, did he just thread that? Yes, he absolutely just threaded that. And there were a couple of those opportunities that he could take to use his legs to go get them first down, to go make plays. You don't need a big game from J.J. McCarthy to beat Iowa. You just need him to be careful with the football, which is the reason that I think it took so long for him to be the starter at Michigan. But once he became the starter at Michigan, he ain't looked back. Like, check this out. QB wins is a stat that we talk about because it ain't going anywhere. Kind of like batting average, right? Baseball people hate talking about batting average because they don't think it's a good predictor of success by a hitter. They think on-base percentage is a better predictor of success. However, we look at who the starting quarterback is and we assign wins and losses to that guy. And far be it from me, to disagree with Lincoln Riley, who would say with a straight face, hey, arm talent is cool, but is the guy a winner? Because if he was a winner in high school or he was a winner at another college program, he's probably going to be a winner for me. And that guy has been outstanding at developing quarterbacks, and he digs 
winners. So knowing that he takes into account wins as a QB stat, let's take a look at what J.J. McCarthy has been doing basically since he got the job last year. He is 24-1 and as starting quarterback at Michigan. That gives him a winning percentage of 95.8. Other folks in the same stratosphere with him, Trevor Lawrence, who went 34-2 and at Clemson, Deshaun Watson, who went 32-3 and at Clemson, Stetson Bennett, who won two national titles and went 29-3 and at Georgia, Jalen Hurts, who went 38-4 and at both Alabama and Oklahoma, and Joe Burrow, who went 25-3 and at LSU. The company that J.J. McCarthy is keeping is there. We have to start talking about him as elite behind center. I know it's going to gall some folks to no end because we don't think of that guy as being a Heisman finalist, at least this year. But you can see he has the talent, and you can see that the offense trust him, and he's got a play caller who might be the best in the country who is perfectly fine giving him the football more often than I would like to see him giving the football. As a matter of fact, against Ohio State, I'm going – why are you in shotgun? He's wearing a shotgun because I trust J.J. McCarthy. They didn't need to be in tight sets. They didn't need to pound Blake Quorum 40 times. They trust that dude to go make it happen for them, and that tells me all I need to know because if I trust Sean Moore, then I got to trust J.J. McCarthy to do the same thing. I think that there's a way for Iowa to get to J.J. McCarthy, though, right? I think there's a way for you to speed him up and to force him to make those split decision throws, but make them a little bit sooner or a little bit later so that you can get your hands on them. And then when you do, you got to feed LaShawn Williams like you're trying to make him into foie gras. You got to run the football and sit on the ball. And that is not going to be easy against this Michigan defense. They get after you very quickly. They're very good in coverage. And knowing that you don't really throw the football well, they are inclined to load the box with eight or even nine, depending on what kind of a set you are in which means you're going to have one-on-one -on -one advantages for guys like Caleb Brown. Now, this is super Iowa, okay? Caleb Brown has caught 14 passes all year. Iowa's played 12 games. Man has caught 14 passes, and he's their best wide receiver. Super Iowa. But if you can get that man in one-on-one -on -one competitions and you feel good about well, you ain't got no choice but to feel good about him against Will Johnson. You just got to take it. You got to tell Deacon Hill, hey, dog, you got to give it a shot. We know that Will Johnson is that dude on the other side, but we're going to take our guy in the black and gold and see what we can do in this game where nobody expects us to win it. And you have to turn Michigan over. I know that that's easier said than done, especially what I told you about how they've been good at holding on to the football here of late. But that's Iowa. You have to tell your defense, you are the elite unit. You are the queen. We move across the chessboard when we got to get something done. And you got to infuse into them that belief and you're going to give them every opportunity to be aggressive. You're going to send eight. You're going to say, we're going to get home. We're going to put you in man-on-man. -man. We're going to say, hey, look, we're just going to take away Blake Corum. And if J.J. McCarthy can hit us for three bills, we're going to live with that. But I think, again, Iowa's in a great spot here. They block. They tackle. They turn out outstanding players. They know who they are. They have a culture they believe in. If you are a college football fan and you believe that culture is such a big deal, then you know that Iowa is knuckle-grinding roared men from a flyover state. And i got to tell you, as a knuckle-grinding roared man from a flyover state, you don't want me in no phone booth. Don't nobody want no Iowa Hawkeyes in no phone booth, right? Them boys love to hit people. And I, I think Michigan, they love to hit people too, right? I expect this to be a really cool game. We'll see what the over-under is. Iowa, 
Kings are hitting under. So like if you bet on the on the sports and you see the under for the Iowa Hawkeyes, just know they're going to do everything in their power to try to help you out. All right. That's just what it's going to be like. But I'm excited. We'll see if Iowa can pull the biggest upset possible among these Power 5 Conference Championships this weekend. And if they do, we will be live Saturday night right here to talk about it and going into our live show on Sunday, Selection Sunday, to talk about what the College Football Playoff Selection Committee has done and what that's going to mean for us as we get into postseason play. Let's go to the SEC Championship game that's going to feature number one Georgia versus number eight Alabama. I also call this the national champion series as Alabama or Georgia have won the national championship in each of the last three years. It's been one or the other, right? That 2020 Alabama team, I think is on the short list of one of the greatest of all time, top 10 in there. Right. And Georgia is attempting to become the first program in modern history to go three in a row winning national championships. That is staggering to me because that's not something that Nick Saban accomplished. Bobby Bowden accomplished, Jimmy Johnson accomplished. You get what I'm saying here? You got to take it all the way back to the 1930s. And many people will tell you they don't think that Minnesota was that good and deserved to be crowned national championships. But to do that in the age that we're in now, I don't know that we would be able to talk about Kirby Smart as not being one of the two, three best coaches that we've had in our sport if he's able to accomplish this feat. But if anybody can stop the Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide. I think that looking at this program, you see 29 straight for Georgia. You also see an Alabama team that when they show up to play in an SEC title game, they do not make a habit of losing. As a matter of fact, their last eight appearances, Alabama's walked away with an SEC title. Now, does that mean that they're going to walk into an SEC title and, and my goodness, uh, do back-to-backs against Georgia? I don't see that as happening, right? I think you got a shot this weekend because maybe Georgia just knows that with a loss, they're probably going to get into this thing anyway, because many people would believe that, hey, yeah, Georgia is one of the four best teams in college football, no matter what they do against Bama. But playing outstanding football, he has been truly gorgeous throwing the ball down the field. Like I, I know that people are really getting after Auburn defensively because they just chose not to rush as many people as you would like on that fourth and 31, but Jalen was back there bouncing his feet and absolutely found his man in the back of the end zone. Isaiah Isaiah Bond standing there, not like by himself, by the way, he had to make a contested catch and he was saying it at the end of the game, what I've been saying, hand him the Heisman. And I don't think you can hand him the Heisman after beating an Auburn team that put money in the bag against New Mexico state. Okay. I don't think that's what you're going to do. However, you take into account what Jalen Milrow did against Kentucky what Jalen Middle-Railroad did head up against what many people believe ought to be the Heisman winner in Jaden Daniels, and then what he did against Auburn. And now, if he is the guy, quarterback in the team, that stops Georgia, it's going to be really difficult not to give that dude the Heisman trophy. I understand that many of you have already given this to Jaden Daniels or even Bo Nix, who we'll talk about. But I just don't see how the Heisman voters could look at what he might do, let's say three bills and five TDs against that Georgia football team and not think he's the best player in the country. That said, that's tall ass, right? And that's the reason why I'm saying that that game matters so much. It also gets me into a little bit of the postseason award conversation, which is why would the Heisman people open up the voting yesterday? That is Monday. 
when you shouldn't even vote, open up the voting until championship Saturday is over because now people are going to cast votes before games are played. And I hate that, right? Because this stuff matters to me and I take it very seriously. That said, on the football field, I'm looking at Brock Bowers versus Caleb Downs. I'm looking at the best tight end in the country, leads the FBS in tight end receiving versus what I think is the best safety in the country and a true freshman in Caleb Downs. I want to see that man up. I want to see what happens there. I really want to see Terry and Arnold going up against Jermaine Burton. I want to see the Georgia turncoat going at the Georgia, excuse me, not Terry and Arnold. I want to see him against Malachi Stark, Terry and Arnold's Alabama. I want to see the Georgia turncoat going up against George DB. That's what I want. And you know that Jermaine Burton be talking his noise. It is not a man who like, it is a man after my own heart, should we say, just does not stop talking trash, right? The kind of dude that like DK Metcalf, that if you told him that he could not talk any trash with his mouth, he would learn ASL so that he could keep trash talking. Matter of fact, probably be better at it because then you can get in the words that referees don't like to hear. Okay? I would love to see this. And to look at a guy like Jermaine Burton, who was playing at Georgia, when Georgia's at the peak of its powers, and he looks around and said, hey, I'm going to go to Alabama because what they did with Jamison Williams, I think they can do with me. And by the way, he is on track to be that dude. This is the game that you get up for if you're Burton. This is the game you get up for if you are Georgia. And they got a guy that I th- in Malachi Starks that I think is really going to have an opportunity to make a case for being one of the best DBs, if not the best DB in the country. I'm seriously into the idea of Terion Arnold, as I mentioned earlier, because I get ahead of myself, being compared to Trayvon Diggs, because while, while Terion Arnold will, will bounce off of K.J. Jefferson like a gnat on a cow's ass, Nick Saban, I love you so much. He will also get you five interceptions in the same year. It's, it is the wildest thing because it's a DB doing what we ask DBs to do. Go make a play. If you get beat, forget that you got beat. And then we'll take the butt chewing from Saban and say, hey, look, that means he cares. I can take the coaching. I need to worry when he's not yelling at me. If he is yelling at me, he expects a lot from me. He expects me to do what he asks. If he's not yelling at me, he doesn't think that I'm capable of winning the football game for them. I love to know that a Terry and Arnold is still on that sort of a, a football team. Like there's always that guy for Nick Saban playing DB. And you know that Nick Saban is a DB. He is a DB coach. He takes this stuff very seriously. And I am very much excited to see if Terry and Arnold can have a big game here too. I'm also going to throw out here that if, the Alabama defense plays like the Alabama defense that we have seen, the one with you know guys like Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell doing the damn thing, Caleb Burton on the back end. I think they can give Georgia a scare, if nothing else, because Georgia has had a hard time with mobile quarterbacks. Actually, both teams have had a hard time with mobile quarterbacks. And while Alabama's faced some pretty tough defenses, top 10, top 25 scoring defenses, Georgia ain't really seen that. Right. Missouri could score. They could score. Ole Miss could score. You ain't really seen anybody that could stop you. So we're going to get to find out what Carson Beck is also made of alongside Dejan Edwards and Kendall Milton. Right. I'm excited for that because I would like to see this Georgia football team get challenged at least one more time before we just make them the number one seed in the college football playoff. As you know, I take this stuff very seriously. So I've been flip flopping Georgia and Michigan all year because I'm not in it just so you can win football games. Going undefeated is the barrier for entry in the sport. I want to see dominance. Can Georgia be dominant against an Alabama team that lost to Texas and damn near lost to Auburn 
and almost lost to LSU until we see Jaden Daniels go out. We're looking at that game going, who's going to have the ball last? Jaden Daniels goes out. The nature of that game changes. I would like to see it. I would like to see it. If you are who you claim to be, this is the time to show it once again. I know that Kirby Smart is up for that challenge, and he's always the guy running around going, are you elite or not? Because that's what they do at Georgia. All right, show me that you are elite. Win an SEC title when you're 30th straight, and let's see you march into the college football playoff with two games following this one to be a three-time national champion. All right, the Friday night game. I don't know why they choose to do this, but I'm not going to turn down anything but this turtleneck. Number five, Oregon versus number three, Washington on Friday night in Vegas for the Pac-12 title. This could be amazing. It could be amazing precisely because the week seven matchup was amazing. 36-33 win for Washington in Seattle against Oregon. I still think that Oregon did not lose that football game. I think that Dan Lanning lost that football game. And you know what? You all agree with me because since then, all anybody has said is Oregon's a better football team than Washington. To which Washington would say, hey, you see that one, two in the win column? You see that zero in the loss column? That says we are better than Oregon. And you know what, baby? You got an opportunity to choose uh, to, to prove that on Friday night, okay? You heard everybody chirping. You heard everybody getting up after you. You've seen what Oregon is doing to opponents, right? To which you've been like, we beat them once. We can beat them again, all right? Never mind that Michael Penix Jr. ain't thrown for more than 204 yards in any game the last couple of weeks. Never mind that it's been the Rome Odunzi show with some sprinkle sprackle of some Dylan Johnson. Never mind that Troy Franklin got robbed of being a Bolitnikoff Award finalist. My goodness, man. I, I, I get the three you chose, but that dude out there has been a menace. Tez Johnson, Bo Nix's little brother, been a menace. Them dudes in the backfield, Bucky Irvin, Jordan James, menace. And then you got that dude, Bo Nix, who might set the FBS record for completion percentage as he's throwing for 78% right now. He's putting up 338 yards offense. They are scarily efficient. And both of these teams have an outstanding pedigree in the Pac-12 title game. Oregon going 4-1, and Washington going 2-0. and But, you know, we ain't been playing Pac-12 title games for so long. However, if you're looking at deficiencies, it's very clear. Oregon's defense giving up something like 15.8 points per game. Not a whole lot, right? One of the, the the best scoring defense in the Pac-12. They also got the best scoring offense in the Pac-12. And usually when you're number one in both categories, you are the best team. Washington, it's kind of feast of famine. Like, I, I'd be watching Chuck Morrell on the sideline with that play card, and I'm going, dog, sometimes you out there just calling your behind off. Other times, I'm like, what 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 scheme are you in? I'm over here looking like Friday Night Lights, like I'm Billy Bob Thornton. What, what are we in over here? What are you doing? You're going to need that defense to come up with some takeaways. You're going to need that defense not only come up with takeaways, but when you, baby, when you got the when you got when you got to pick pick up fumble and you run to the end zone, you got to hold on to the ball, okay, baby? We we can't we can't be dropping the ball, running into the end zone. You hold on to the ball, and then you hand it to the official. That way we know you're gonna keep holding the ball because if you do what you did against Utah against Oregon, it ain't gonna be all right. It, it, it ain't going to be all right. That's going to be the thing that gets brought to you when you're 35, 36 years old. People are going to see you at the bar. They're going to see you at the club. Now, I hope you're not at the bar at the club when you're 35, 36 years old. They're going to see you at the Lubies. They're going to see you at the Chili's, and they're going to say, hey, didn't you fumble that ball that you were supposed to score with against Utah? Don't do that, all right? Have an opportunity. Run it all the way back because you're going to need every single point against this Oregon team. Outstanding what they've been able to do offensively and defensively. Will Stein it's been great, man. Like that's a guy who
who with a straight face believed that Bo Nix should be completing 85% of his passes. And I'm like, dog, um, I ain't cool. I, I'm with it. Get it done. You know what I'm saying? If that, if that is the, the standard, then hit the standard. I need Michael Penix Jr. to show us the guy that he's been the first half of the season and not the second half of the season. Because if he shows us the guy he was the first half of the season, we're looking at another 36-33 game that probably goes deep into the fourth quarter once again. If he does not, you're talking about two, three possessions, and Oregon's got a 20-point lead. It's been like that for them. They do not waste possessions. Bo Nix is great at distributing the football. Willie Stein has been great at absolutely getting the ball to the guys that got the hot hand and finding different ways to just continue to feed your best players the rock. We got Justin Herbert's little brother, Patrick, out here absolutely styling on people. You got to put an end to that if you are Washington. That said, Washington in the midst of a dream season. They are 12-0. Last time they were 12-0, they won a shared national championship. It's harder to do now, okay? We play more football games, and frankly, the competition is better, okay? So that said, Kalen DeBoer, Ryan Grubb, you got your work cut out for you offensively against Tosh Lapoy's defense. They got an Uwe Ungalale little brother over there that's absolutely getting after people. They got a Brandon Dorless that will get his hands up in front of people and make it hard for you to throw over the top. You better get that man out in space. You better feed Romo Dunze. There's there's opportunities here, but I think this one's going to be a straight up fist fight, and I can't wait because that that's this I think could be the best of the conference championship games that we see all weekend. All right, from Pac-12 where the winner likely plays in the college football playoff, to the Big 12, where only Texas of the two teams going to have opportunity, maybe, kind of, sort of, playing the college football playoff. Number 18, Oklahoma State, versus number 7, Texas. I, I'm a national college football analyst, but regionally, I can't, I could not be more excited. I, 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 regional RJ could not be excited about this game. Like, could not be more because Oklahoma State has won six of the last eight against Texas. None about that Oklahoma State team says that they should beat a Texas team that went in Tuscaloosa and beat that Alabama team that we've been seeing with Jalen Milrow. However, if Oklahoma State can pull off the Bedlam double, which would mean that Oklahoma and Oklahoma State beat Texas in the same year, they're going to be insufferable on Sunday service. And I'm prepared, you know, folks, get at me. Let me know. Tulsa is an Oklahoma State town. Much many of y'all don't know. Get after me. But I also... I'm looking at Texas going, if y'all lose to Oklahoma State, y'all going to be two steps past pepper spray pissed, okay? Just going to be cussing and, and, and yelling, getting this pepper spray out your eyes because you expect to stop a mud hole and walk dry at Oklahoma State, but they got this dude named Ollie Gordon coming out of Trinity Euless. That is a dude. Look, he has rushed for 1,580 yards this season. What's wild about that is he got all the 19 touches in the first quarter of the season. Through three games, they only handed the ball to Ollie Gordon 19 times. But as soon as Mike Gundy figured out what we all knew going into the preseason, Alan Bowman is his starting quarterback, they decide, oh, yeah, we should hand the ball to zero. And when they hand the ball to zero, good things happen. When you don't hand the ball to zero, you lose 45 to 3 UCF. I don't give a damn if it was raining or not. Hand the football to zero, whatever you got to do. And when you can't hand the football to zero, you better hit it to a Tulsa boy. And by that, I mean Brendan Presley, who's been absolutely amazing this season for them. When you got to have it, Brendan Presley coming down with it. Bixby, 918, standing up, baby. Tulsa boys absolutely smacked. That said, Quinn Ewers got Xavier Worthy out there. Xavier Worthy is a whole problem. Maybe don't kick him the football. Maybe don't kick him the football. Short of Zachariah Branch, I'm not punting that ball to him. I'm not kicking the ball to him. We're going to take a touchback, so we're going to pooch it. We're going to make the up backfield this because if you let that dude get ahead of steam, 
he can take it all the way. And a special team TD could be the difference in this game. You also got a CJ Baxter who is coming into his own. Again, he was so good that he was a starter for Texas to open the year. Then Jonathan Brooks showed up, had 1,100 yards on the ground, 10 TDs, goes out with the ACL tear. But you could go to a Cedric Baxter, a CJ Baxter, and you can still go to a Keelan Robinson. You can still go to a Jaden Blue. Like they got dudes in the backfield, and that offensive line has been pretty outstanding all year. Say nothing of what Jadavian Sanders and Jordan Whittington can add for the Quinn Ewers experience. Defensively, Pete Kukowski, Royals Award finalist. That defense has been playing lights out with Jalen uh, Ford playing outstanding in the middle. Anthony Hill, one of my favorite players to watch because as a true freshman, it's kind of like watching Harold Perkins last year. They're like, hey, we don't want to we don't want to overload the linebacker with too much. No, nah, actually what he does is line up in a foot nine and go kill the quarterback, go get into the backfield. That's what that dude can provide for you, right? It was really cool to see Muhammad come on when Ryan Watts went down and, hey, absolutely put his stake into that game against Texas Tech. I think if Texas does what Texas is supposed to do, Texas can do what it hasn't done in quite some time. As a matter of fact, did you know Texas has not won a Big 12 title, a conference title of any kind, since Arch Manning was four years old? That's 2009. That was also the, a year in which we saw Mac Brown, head coach at Texas, Derek Gilbert coming in for snaps, and Colt McCoy was the best thing since sliced bread. It's been some time, okay? So it's not necessarily Oklahoma State that they're playing so much as they're also playing their own record, their own reputation, their own fears, right? Oklahoma State, at the very least, they've been in this game before, right? Like, like Texas, they've been here. They understand what it is, and usually what it means is if you can beat Oklahoma, you can win the Big 12 title. Oklahoma State. Beat Oklahoma. Texas lost to Oklahoma. And look at you now. Look at you now. I'm really excited about this because, well, either way, I'm going to clown the other team because that's just what I do, right? But there's, I'm an Oklahoma fan because I'm just, you know, I'm salty. I'm, I'm salty. You know this. You would be salty too. But if Texas can somehow dump Oklahoma State on its head, you give the committee something to think about. And that would be huge because Texas has not made the college football playoff ever. And I, what a way to go out of the Big 12 with a win. And if you're Oklahoma State, no, no, no. Don't let the horror hit you on your way to the SEC conference. I hope you, oh, excuse me, SEC conference. That's redundant. To the SEC, because the Southeastern Conference is what it is. You'd also go on, hey, we are the team to be going into 2024, which is huge because Arizona looking like, looking good. Looking like a bacon egg sandwich look good. You got Utah coming back. They got Cam Rising coming back. You know what I'm saying? We'll see what Colorado even looks like, right? Arizona State, I think they're going to be a much better football team. And then, Kansas is Kansas. Kansas State is Kansas State. Texas Christian not going to be down for long. Neither is Baylor. It's going to be thick, right? We'll see what Houston does after they just let go of Dana Hogerson. But if you're Oklahoma State, this is an opportunity for you to really throw down a gauntlet and say, who wants some? It's a nice place to be, especially given what we thought Oklahoma State was going to be just in September. Remarkable job by the Pokes this year. All right. Last of the Power Five games that we got to consider. Number 14, Louisville versus number four, Florida State. Holy smokes, Louisville has won the last two that it has played against FSU. And now we get Louisville playing an FSU. It's not so much it's without Jordan Travis, it's wait with Tate Rodmaker. That said, if Tate Rodmaker can play the way that he played against Florida, which is not great, right? We're talking about, what, 12 or 25 or 134, but no TDs, but also no picks, right? Don't give the ball to Louisville. You could probably ride this one in, right? Get your W. It's kind of like with Washington. Show up 13-0 and 
and a Power 5 champion and make them tell you that you're not good enough. They haven't done that before, which means to me that somebody's probably not going to, uh, Washington, Florida State, somebody's going to take an L this weekend. But if they don't, I'm here for it because I would love to see what the committee has to do with this. I think Florida State is also, once again, fighting against itself, right? Haven't won a conference title since 2014. Haven't been this good since 2014. And you're looking to win your first national championship since 2013. But again, I don't think this Florida State team is good enough to win a national championship. That ain't, I mean, that, that ain't. That ain't no shade. Like Oklahoma made this college football playoff a couple times. Wasn't good enough to win no national championship. That said, go win your ACC title, right? This would be huge for you. Now, Louisville ain't do you no favors dropping to Kentucky last week. But, you know, now they absolutely got their heads screwed on straight, I hope, in that, yo, okay, if Kentucky can do this to us, what can Florida State do to us? We better come correct. We better hand Jahar Jordan the ball because, well, not just that that dude's got a thousand yards on the ground, it's that he's also averaging over a hundred yards from scrimmage. Jack Plummer, don't throw the football to Florida State, but that's going to be easier said than done because Florida State, low key, pretty damn good defensively. Like I, I trust their defensive unit way more than I trust their offensive unit, and that was with Jordan Travis as the quarterback. I think they're outstanding defensively, and they get an opportunity to show that because. Again, against Clemson, you had strip, sack, fumble, TD, and that was the difference in the game, right? You'll have a Jared Verse coming off the edge. You have dudes that can get you the football back, and you can hand the ball to Trey Benson, try to sit on it for a while, and when you get into jump ball situations, much as I hate that fade route, y'all love throwing it to Keon Coleman. He come down with it. You can run that end around a Jaheim Bell. You got ways to beat Louisville, right? However, it's Louisville. You know what I'm saying? I, I say it's Louisville. It's like, hey, dog, they beat us twice. I understand, but it's Louisville. Notre Dame, it was Louisville. It, it is what it is. It's Pittsburgh showing up to beat Louisville. That, that's where we at right now, okay? So if Louisville somehow upsets Florida State, it's going to make the committee's job a lot easier. But if Florida State can somehow get this done, go punch a ticket, baby. Go to the college football playoff. Got the same opportunity to get beat down by, like, Oklahoma. But Or maybe, 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 due to Texas Christian, upset a team that's supposed to play in a national championship game only get beat down by Georgia. I'm just saying, take care of this game, and then we'll talk about what the next of the season looks like. But right now, Louisville is your focus, and that's what you got to get through. All right. I want to talk a little bit about the couple in the season awards. We'll talk about more of them next week because we got games to face. But there are a couple of awards that are very special to me, uh, one of which is the Broyles Award, which you know I'm very much excited about, and the other is the Thorpe Award. The reason that these things matter to me and the reason that I end up dunking on the Heisman is this is how we tell the story of our sport. Been playing college football since 1869, right? And we have seen teams produce some outstanding players. And a couple of years ago, I learned that Toledo had produced a quarterback named Chuck Ely. And this is where the QB wins that actually matters. Chuck Ely quarterback, a Toledo team that never lost when he was playing for them. Went to the CFL, had a Hall of Fame career. But 40 years had come and gone, and he had not been inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. And you look at his resume, and it's there. You're going, what's the, what's the holdup here? It turns out that he was not selected as a first-team All-American any of his years at Toledo. That is the barrier for entry into the College Football Hall of Fame. You have to be made a first-team All-American to be considered, okay? This is important because even a couple of years ago, people were going, why is Trevor Lawrence considered a first-team All-American in 2020, right? Well, 
it's actually quite easy because if they didn't do that, that dude is not considered for the College Football Hall of Fame. And I just gave you his winning percentage and what he was capable of at Clemson. We're talking about a true freshman who led Clemson to a national championship at quarterback, something that hadn't been done since Jamel Holloway did it in 1985 at Oklahoma. Era of football. So this stuff matters, and it matters a great deal to me because I love to talk about these folks, and people ask me to rank them all the time. This is how I give my brain to it. If Nick Wright does his NBA pyramid, this is where I do it. This is where I ask the question to the National Football Foundation, hey, is Mike Leach not going to get in because he didn't win 60% of his games? To which they're going, you know what? Now that you mention it, we're going to take a look at that. Because anybody that knows this sport loves Mike Leach and believes that Coach Leach should be in the College Football Hall of Fame because he is part of our story. Okay. That said, one of the cool things that happened for me on my way to Fox Sports is I was approached to join the Jim Thorpe Award Select Committee and become a voter in that award. And it has been really cool to see just how guys get on the ballot in the first place so that folks can vote. And this year, the ballot uh, includes Georgia defense back Malachi Starks, who's got 43 tackles, two INTs on the number one team in the country. Air Force defense back Trey Taylor, who's got 71 tackles and three INTs on a really great Air Force team. And Cooper Jean, Iowa DB that we've had on the channel here. We interviewed the Big Ten Media Days and a guy that I think is an outstanding defensive back who had 71 tackles, three interceptions before his season ending injury. But when I went to go write my own personal list, right, I didn't have these guys among my top four. I had in my top four, Oklahoma defensive back, Billy Bowman, 35 tackles, six INTs, two pick sixes the last couple of weeks. Notre Dame's defensive back, Xavier Watts, who I said was becoming the guy that I thought Benjamin Morrison was going to be. No shade to Benjamin Morrison. Played an outstanding year. But seven interceptions also leads the NCAA, in the, not the NCAA, it leads the FBS, right? And I think that that is what the award is about, right? It's about INTs. It's about picking the ball off in the air when it ain't supposed to be going to you. Alabama defensive back Caleb Downs, who's got 95 tackles and two picks as a true freshman, which reminds me that in 2019, I was standing on the table for Derek Stingley Jr. And I just got outvoted, right? It was that simple. I, I like a true freshman that can play. I also understand that ain't everybody's cup of tea. And that's why you have several members on the committee and, you know, my say shouldn't be the only one. Nobody say should be the only one, frankly. And then I got Alabama defensive back, Terry and Arnold, who's got 55 tackles and five picks. Give them that one back against Auburn, right? We're also talking about a different caliber of defensive back. I think that, frankly, Kool-Aid McKinstry is the third best defensive back at Alabama, and he still might be a first-round draft pick because they're that deep. Nobody expected Caleb Downs to be the guy that he has turned out to be for Bama. It's not necessarily important to me that we always get this thing right but it is certainly important to the programs to the players to the families so i work my behind off to study to talk to folks to make sure that we are absolutely putting up good character men first and foremost and then great football players and then folks that are going to you know play in conference championships get to show it on a huge stage i go back to this with the heisman voters kyler murray was not going to win the Heisman in 2018 until Oklahoma beat Texas with him at the helm. And then Tua Tonga-Valoa needed to be pulled so that Jalen Hurts could go in. And then you get to see, oh, Heisman voters going, oh, that conference championship atmosphere really does matter. That's how we choose. That's why I say Jalen Milrow 
could win that thing because it matters that much. You got to play on these big stages. You got to have these big games. Aiden Hutchinson came for me out of nowhere at Michigan until he had his huge game against Ohio State. And not only is he Heisman finalist, we're talking about first five picks in the draft. Nobody was doing that before Ohio State and Michigan. Doing it on these big stages. These are the stories that we tell, and this is why it matters so much that we get these things right. That said, you know who I think is good? I think that Billy Bowman was also hurt in that he came on strong in the second half of the year, and if you're not watching the entire year, that's on you. I accuse Heisman voters of doing that all the time. There are probably some Thorpe Award voters that do that as well. It's my day job, right? This is what I do, so I'm always going to watch it. And I watch as much college football as there is to watch so I can be credible talking about it here. And certainly when I am passing votes and coming up with what I think are four or five of the best players at each individual position and being a member of the Football Writers Association of America, you also get to vote on other awards like the Maxwell, the Davey O'Brien, the Bed and Eric, the Bronco Nagurski. I keep going here, but I do really take this stuff to heart because I know what it means to families and I know what it means to players. I'm not always cool with the way we do this because for instance espn will come and tell folks that you need to tell us who they're gonna win the award because we got to set up our award show and i'm going hey man i understand we're on a deadline but the sport ends when the sport ends right like the sport ends championship saturday that's basically the end of the season now if you want to put a hard cutoff on regular season as what we're doing you can do that but we don't take that into account we take into account that season and championship saturday and if you're playing in it that's a huge deal. If you play well in it, it's a huge deal. Same thing with coaching it. Broyles Award. I was approached earlier this year to become a voter, uh, a voice on the Broyles Award, and I jumped to it, man. Like, I, I love that award because it is so good at identifying the rising stars in our sport. It's one of the reasons why I was jumping up and down on the table a couple of years ago for Marcus Freeman as the defensive coordinator at Cincinnati. We got those guys. We got Ryan Grubbs, right? A guy at Washington that many people had not heard of until he and Michael Penix Jr. started doing the damn thing last year. And now you're talking about that guy as a head coaching prospect. Tommy Reese, Alabama offensive coordinator, who is younger than I am, and I'm 36 years old, may win the Royals award because of what he's been able to do at Alabama when it wasn't going well. Nobody really bet on Jalen Milrow because they pulled him. That man had to watch other people play against South Florida. And then matured. I think that a lot of that has to do with Tommy. That dude found out what Jalen Milrow does well and built the offense to do that. That's outstanding coaching. That's what top assistants do. We also got Will Stein on it, who I mentioned earlier with uh, Oregon, Pete Kwiatkowski, who was outstanding at Washington, but now it ain't him and Jimmy Lake. It's just him, and he's doing it at Texas, right? Mike Denbrock, my goodness. I didn't know that Mike Denbrock was this good until we saw what Jaden Daniels is capable of doing. And when it was clear that the offense was Jaden Daniels and Malik Neighbors, that man did what I expect you to do. You let those guys cook and look at him. He's right here. As LSU is not even a top 10 team, it might end up with a Heisman winner and a Broyles Award winner. We got Mike Bobo, who was damaged goods until he got back to Georgia. And then we saw Todd Munkin go off to play, be the offense coordinator at Baltimore. People going, really, Kirby? You're going to pick Bobo? And Bobo heard that. And he said, you know what? I'm not that bad. I'm really good at my job. And I'm going to show you I'm really good at my job. And look at that. He's going to coach in the SEC championship game and probably this close to winning a national championship as a coordinator. Manny Diaz is outstanding with that Penn State defense. When nothing else was working at Penn State, that defense was working. And that was the man who also got run out on a rail at Miami. Right? That 
got run out of Rella, Texas. I love the stories that the, we get to tell because these dudes are doing the job the way that we love them to do the job. And they provide these moments on Saturdays in the fall that I remember forever and that you remember forever. So when we look at guys like Phil Parker and Sharon Moore this weekend, okay, you're also looking at, and Phil Parker, a guy that's been good for so long and has deserved this award for so long, but it can't be a lifetime achievement award. And that's that's the problem that I have here. We have to give these awards to the best person at each individual position in each individual year. Full stop. If you think that Sherrod Moore deserves the Broyles Award this year, you would not be wrong. If you thought that he deserved it last year, we might have an argument. You know what I'm saying? If you're looking at Phil Parker and you're going, wow, Iowa won 10, 10 games without an offense. Yeah, you got reason to believe that he's the top assistant in the country. That said, uh, I cast my vote. Uh, I was asked not to reveal the order for which I gave my five or even what my five are. But you should know, I'm thinking about it. And I care immensely. And I really hope that voters take that into account when they're clicking these boxes that they receive in their emails. We got people on Twitter right now that are just upset and mad. And I understand it. I feel you because it, it matters to us. If it doesn't matter to you, give your vote back. No shame in that. Nobody needs to know. But if you are not going to take the time to study, to reason, to understand what this means to programs and players, you don't need to be doing it. All right. That is going to do it for tonight's episode of the number one college football show. We will be back live Saturday night following the Big Ten Championship game and the ACC Championship game. And we will be back live Sunday for Selection Sunday at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time, noon Eastern. Talk about the college football playoff selection committee, top 25, top four. Get you an early set on what the college football playoff semifinals are going to look like. My thanks, as always, to our... Number one college football show leads of screening Jack Coakley and Torn Westfall. They make us better in the film room. Production assistants Kiara Santana and Kyla Morris put the special in our special team. Social producer JV on Duncan. Make sure the recruits and the rivals see the cake we bake. Chaz Boulay is sending in the signal. Senior producer Catherine Cordaggi sees the entire field from the booth. Lead producer Tyler Wojak calls the plays from the sidelines and the play snaps on my clap. We will see y'all live Saturday night. Deuces.